Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, hey, everybody. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, she was the last Republican representing the Bay Area in Sacramento. But Assemblywoman Catherine Baker was defeated in November by a well-funded Democratic challenger. She was indeed, and she lost, even though she voted with Democrats on issues like climate change and housing, among other things. Catherine Baker joins us to talk about why that R next to her name on the ballot may have doomed her re-election. But first, Marisa, some very sad news uh, last night and today uh, up in Sacramento. A police officer, 26-year-old uh, Tara O'Sullivan, uh, responding to a domestic disturbance call in North Sacramento, was shot and killed. Um, very sad. Always happens. Uh, always uh, you know, the police departments circle the wagons, and it's just a horrible experience. And making it even more sad, she had only been on the force just a few months, and she was the second young female officer from her graduating class in the academy to die, another one in Davis uh, in January. Yeah, uh, and she was, was there was to help well. a woman clear out her belongings on a domestic violence call. I mean, just really sad, um, I think, day, you know, in California. And, you know, I, I think that this is obviously very fresh still, and and we're talking about it, you know, in, in the hour sense and the memorials are still being planned. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a sense of like, what what will this mean? I mean, just a few months ago, the governor decided to put a moratorium on executions in California. The district attorney in Sacramento, Anne-Marie Schubert, we had on the show recently. She's been a staunch defender of the death penalty. And I think it's safe to say she will at least look yeah. into pursuing it in this case. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, as well, there's questions around domestic. The, you know, the, this, this guy turns out has a very long record going back to 1995 of domestic violence and battery charges. There, I think, will be questions about how he got a gun uh, and whether mm-hmm. something slipped through the cracks in that regard. But, yeah, you know, th- th- these kinds of uh, things... Um, these very high-profile, horrible crimes—they do sometimes change the political atmospherics in, in whether it's in Washington or in Sacramento. Um, there's a, pol- a couple of police use of force bills making their way through the legislature, and actually, some changes have been made to one. The police went from opposing to neutral, but you have to. None of that would have applied in this case. Uh, clearly, it was a situation where force was required. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, it does raise, you know, I think it raises a f- fresh, fresh all these issues that yeah. surface. I mean, I think it gets to the sort of challenge in criminal justice in general and making policy, which is like you should not make laws based on one incident in any case, no matter what it is. But you also have to look at the facts. And I think that what often happens in these, you know, I've been covering a lot of these debates for a decade now, is that people sort of rush to their corner and make a assumptions about whether it's on gun rights or gun control, whether it's on things like realignment and criminal justice reform, whether it's on the death penalty. 
Um, and, and you know, I, I do think it will be kind of interesting to see, yeah, how this shapes some of these discussions. You mentioned the use of force bill, Shirley Weber. I mean, that, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw finally come to, uh, you know, everyone really come to the table and come to an agreement on something that's really been a fraud issue here for many years. Um, and the police officers um, union who, you know, had been, I think, the strongest kind of ones at the table did decide not to support it, but not to oppose it. To be it. neutral, you know, which makes neutral. a difference. And it gives the governor, you know, sort of a clear way to sign it if it, yeah. if it does get to his desk. Which it probably will. I mean, it passed the assembly unanimously. It passed out of Senate committee recently with no no votes, um, one Republican not voting at all. And it's on the Senate floor. And I think that, you know, I think the question is for that. You, you can change the legal standard around these things. Um, the, the idea is right to have fewer shootings, period. I right, mean, I think sure. everybody can agree that yeah. that's, that's what folks want. And but the question becomes, I think, what do we build on top of that as a state, right? Just one bill is never going to be a silver bullet in terms of dealing with violence and gun violence and these problems that we have. And right. And no matter what you do, there are going to be certain circumstances that where the law doesn't apply. And then, you know, sometimes they try to pass an additional law that does apply going forward when the you know, horses are already out of the barn. You know, and it's interesting, the death penalty, and we don't know that, you know, how this will play out. Uh, but after uh, Governor Newsom did issue that temporary moratorium on executions, there was a lot of criticism of him from not just from Republicans. Certainly Republicans were critical, but some Democrats like uh, Tom Umberg from uh, the state senator from Orange County, former prosecutor, was also not happy about that. And, you know, it is an issue that although public opinion is changing in California and going toward, you know, more opposition toward the death penalty, it's an issue that has caught up so many politicians, Pat Brown, Jerry Brown, Kathleen Brown, to a certain extent, they've all kind <laughs> the of... Browns. The Browns. The Browns and, and the death uh, penalty. So I'm, not to say Kamala this Harris. Will, Kamala Harris, when she was uh, first elected uh, district attorney, there was a police officer killed. She had promised not to seek the death penalty. She followed through on that promise and got a lot of blowback for, from that. And, you know, in some ways spent the next 10 years trying to make good with law enforcement groups, I think. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, there's some recent polling out around, you know, whether people support the death penalty you know, basically showing that people support Newsom's decision, you know, a majority plurality, but also don't necessarily want to rescind the death penalty, which I think speaks to the challenges with how it's been implemented, with the the weights we've seen in terms of how long it takes appeals to to go through, um, and and with the very real questions about whether it has been sort of handed out in a fair manner, whether that be people who have actually been cleared of crimes that they were on death row for, or just the inequities we see in terms of who's on death row, the right. black and brown men. But just- I think this particular kind of crime, you know, where a police officer, a law enforcement person is killed, a heinous, you know, crime, a murder, you know, those are the kinds of crimes people are hesitant to get rid of the death penalty for because uh, that's what they think, you know, in many cases is appropriate. So a discussion, a conversation uh, that will continue. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, our conversation with former Bay Area Assemblywoman Catherine Baker. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Randal Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with my partner in crime, Marisa Lagos. And today we're joined by someone who worked across the aisle in Sacramento, a Republican who held town hall meetings with a Democratic state senator from her area, but who lost a re-election fight in November, leaving the Bay Area with exactly zero Republicans in Sacramento and Washington. Catherine Baker, with that as a setup, welcome to Political Breakdown. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so honored to be on the show with the funkiest theme song ever. I love it. Thank you for having me. It was sort of inspired by Sly Stone. So thank you for noting that. Like that yeah. Hey, we want to ask you, uh, we were just talking about uh, this terrible police uh, shooting last night in Sacramento. What, what are your thoughts about the death penalty and you know how these issues play out? Yeah, I mean, you were there for some of these yeah. use of force yeah, debates. Absolutely. Uh, not only the use of force, but even the, the, the initiative originally in 2014, I think that was the last time it was on the ballot. 2016, for I think. Yeah, there were two of them, right? There were 62 two. And, and and how my district was on that, which tends to be a, a purpler district, it's a little bit bluer now. And it, it the initiative to keep the death penalty was uh, still protected in my district. So even a district in the Bay Area mm-hmm. that still wanted to do that. And first of all, I just want to say I really I pray for I, I hope for comfort and peace for the family of the officer, all who served with her and are touched by this. I'm so grateful for law enforcement who take care of us who go to calls not knowing um, what could happen at any time and for their families, and that she was helping someone who was trying to escape a really awful situation. So, um, you know, myself, I, I was supportive of the initiative to reform the death penalty, to improve it, mm-hmm. make sure there are um, real protections for justice, but not to repeal. And that continues to be my position. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very glad that there it seems to be a compromise on the use of force legislation that you were referring to just a minute ago. I've been there for those big negotiations. And once there's a removal of opposition like that, even if they're going to stay neutral, it really gives folks um, a lot more ability to support it. And I, I hope that becomes law. I really applaud my colleagues for working through it, like Shirley Weber. Yeah, I mean, she's she hung in there, remarkable. Sure. Do you think, I mean, when you're out, when you were out there campaigning, when you were talking to constituents, I mean, how big of an issue do you think the death penalty is for folks? I feel like there's yeah. so many other things that we're talking about because they're so in our face every day, whether it's affordability, housing, traffic, issues. you know. They change. You know, the issues really do change. Yeah. So in 2016, that was, that was a question I got asked, but actually not as often as um, issues of congestion and traffic, issues of housing, um, really and particularly homelessness and just how expensive it is to live in the state. Even when we have a great economy where you think we it's a wonderful opportunity to tackle some of the structural issues that I just mentioned that are constantly a problem, that's what was on the minds of voters when well, I spoke to them. I think it's, you know, context. I mean, this is 
a horrific, terrible thing, but it does not happen very often, um, luckily. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the death penalty is not something that maybe is in everyday people's lives every day. Yeah, it does happen too often when it's just yeah. when it's just once. But it is something that's really rocked uh, rocked our community, I think, in our state. Well, it's just heartbreaking for, for the for the for the for the city. And, you know, it was also a department that was caught up in the controversy around Stefan Clark. It's been a hard year and a half yeah. Yeah. Uh, for that department. Yeah. So uh, you talked about your district becoming a little more blue. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes from roughly what? Arinda, the Caldegat Tunnel, all the way to the Altamont Pass, That's I guess. right. That's right. Nine cities. They're wonderful. I'd recite them all for you. It's yeah. like Amarinda, <laughs> Walnut Creek, the San Ramon Valley, and uh, and the Tri-Valley area. So. We want to talk about your, a little bit earlier than your being in elected office, but, you know, after losing that election, what was it, you know, did you exhale? I mean, was it a relief in some way, or did it take a while to process it? It does take a while to process. It really does. I knew all this last year that it was going to be a close race, just because of the partisan registration, the national debate, what we were seeing, what I was hearing in the community. Um, and I also had a lot of folks who were like, Catherine, there's no way you could lose. You've got bipartisan support. You've got a record. You've really served the district. I think people were surprised. Mm. Um, I was not. I knew that it was possible based on what we were hearing on the ground. Um, really generally. What were you hearing? So, and I was hearing probably two things. Um, one was, I really don't like what you know I'm reading in the mail about that, you know, this group or your opponent or someone says. That happens in campaigns. Well, you, when you say things that were said about you? Sure, you know, the mail and yeah, the yeah. ads and all yeah. that. That's yeah. typical yeah. for the campaigns. The attacks on both sides. You can't really pay a lot of time on that. And even if you think it's egregious in, in your race, every candidate does. Right. Um, that's a part of it. And so that I can talk to voters about. I can say, well, actually, here's my voting record. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think. I would say 90% of what we heard was Catherine I cannot vote for you because you have an R after your name. You are a Republican in this particular climate. And is that Trump? It was it was a variety. It was Trump. It was if I vote for you, I feel like and I don't like Trump. I am endorsing that. It is some people said, I know exactly who you are. I know you are totally different than he is. I know your voting record shows it, but I'm still not going to vote for you. I hope you win, (laughs) but I'm still not going to vote for you. And then other folks who would say, you know, if you're still Republican, the only way that you're really standing up for what you believe is if you leave the party. And I, I had a different view of that. And so it, it just took a variety of of those are those are the various ways in which people would communicate. It. So basically it was a way of punishing Trump in a way. <laughs> Voting against you. Uh, there were some who said that. It's like, I want to send a message to Trump. And unfortunately, what happens, a lot of people like myself who, you know, you will find no greater critic, more vocal critic of the president of any elected, I think, in California's Republican than I was in the legislature. My vote, my vote, my voice, wherever I was. And if and those folks like myself got washed away, which leaves terrific colleagues, but um, across the country the extremes. leaves the yeah. extremes. Well, let's go back a little bit because I, I do want to talk about kind of how you got here. And, and I do want to ask you why you're still a Republican later. But um, <laughs> well, I know so think about that. it for the next 10 and minutes. You were born in 1971. Um, thank you. I've thank read you that. Well, no, but that the, the, the. Yes, I'm 48. I just turned 48. <laughs> well, the. So Reagan was president mm-hmm. when you were a kid. And in from high school, what we've he read, was. He is the first president I have a real memory of. Just like my kids, Donald Trump is the first president. He, they will likely have a memory of. They're about my age when Reagan was president. And what do you I, remember? Like what? what and you grew up. Where were you? You're down I lived south. down in the desert part of California, outside of Palm Springs, Cathedral City. Um, a desert rat, which is an, a term of affection. Yes. Uh, and I, what do I remember about Reagan? I remember very much uh, pride in the country again. I, I remember just a little bit about when Carter was president and Reagan was elected. As a little girl, I said to my parents, are we going to be okay? I mean, I don't know, I was six years old. <laughs> when There's a new president. And they said, it, it's going to be okay. I do remember that. I remember his eloquence. Um, absolutely remember um, him standing at the Statue of Liberty. And I remember his embrace of immigration. 
Yeah. Uh, I really remember that. And I very much remember his, um, uh, of course, his overtures to the Soviet Union because one of my trips in high school was to the Soviet Union during Perestroika and Gosnos that affected my beliefs in freedom and government. So it sounds like your parents might have been Republicans. They were. They did not talk about politics ever. I mean, we definitely sat around the dinner table together. Uh, My mom was a award-winning, I have to brag about mom, um, public school teacher, middle school teacher. My dad was part of a very small family business with my Uncle Fred and grandfather. And um, but and we sat around the dinner table, but we did not talk about politics. uh, So how did you get interested? It just became something I was interested in. Certainly government, and in in uh, college I studied constitutional law, so I was very interested in that. Did you run for student council? I, in high I did. I ran. I did run for student council when I was in fourth grade, and my first fourth elected grade. office was ecology club president at <laughs> oh, Rancho Mirage Elementary. See that cap and trade of it was <laughs> the environmentalist in me. What was your slogan? Um, do you remember? I don't remember the slogan, but I do remember we had a gnat problem at our school, and I said I'm going to work with the administration to fix this gnat problem, and I got the biggest <laughs> laugh from everyone because I wanted solutions. Um, I So those are some things I remember about Reagan, and I did have public service in my background, you know, actually 23 years ago now. I worked on Capitol Hill as a legislative aide to Congressman Sonny Bono. That was after college? Yeah. And, and he represented that area. He represented area, that area Palm Spring. in What Washington. was he like? Of course, he, we know him from Sonny yeah. and Cher, and right. uh, sure. he was a Republican, but he was, was he sort of a Reagan Republican, would He you was say? definitely a Reagan Republican. He was, he was a conservative Republican, um, but he also was someone who, one of the very valuable lessons I heard from him was just because it's done that way doesn't mean you have to do it that way. You can break your own mold. You know, Remember, he was not, or maybe you don't know this, but he was not the favored candidate when Al McCandless... Um, decided not to run for re-election and there was kind of more establishment and he was definitely not establishment and he won and he was very different in the way he communicated and I remember sitting as a ledge aide watching him do things that you think you know everything when you're 20 right 24 or whatever and I was like oh my gosh you can't do it that way and he showed you can do it the way that you think is right and I remembered that just like because that things, authenticity yes just because things are done a certain way you don't have to do it that way and that just was an imprint on me um, from the beginning. And, and that's an area that's much more blue now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, you know, a little purple, yeah, purple, it's blue. Yeah, still yeah. the desert. But, uh, right. For sure. Of course, right. that's happening all across the state. So you end up going to law school. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, first you Go met Bears, your husband by the way. in college. I have to say that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Chicago. Well, uh, Chicago. I met my husband. I had my husband's from the Bay Area. I had to go to Chicago to meet a guy from California. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we met in Chicago. He was studying economics at the Milton Friedman School of Economics. So we are just a great match, and um, spent we spent some time both living in different areas. But we did locate to the Bay Area, and after law school, got married. Reading up on you, we saw that you had about of cancer in college. Can Mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Yeah, so that was my um, senior year. I'd had a lump in my neck that I ignored because, you know, sometimes when we get lumps and they're all benign and it's all fine. And I'm I'm 21 years old. You're invincible at that age. And so I ignored it until I started getting hoarse and it started to hurt, you know, to to touch. So I went in and they ran some tests. And I remember I was at my student job. I was the student ombudsperson for the University of Chicago. And um, the doctor called me and I had a conversation with a doctor about life expectancy that I was not expecting to have. Um, I had medullary thyroid cancer, which is not the kind that um, Rehnquist died of. So it's not the kind when by the time you find out, it's very bad. But it's one that really liked me all throughout my 20s on and off. Oh, um, wow. so it's it a very curable cancer. Yeah. It just mm. I was one of those cases that it just 
liked me very much. Um, I've been cancer-free for many years. I'm very grateful for that. And um, But it did teach me, that, of course, I'm sure this sounds a little bit trite, but don't waste a day. Mm. If you think you want to try something and make a difference, do it now and uh, go for it. Just a reminder, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. Our guest today is former East Bay Assemblywoman Catherine Baker. You, I think, alluded to your kids. You've yeah, got a, we got a, a couple, oh, yeah. a couple of, uh, you have twins. I do. I'm very efficient. Boy and a girl, all in one go. <laughs> Just get Man. it done. And they turned 16 in about two weeks. So I have now two uh, driver's permit drivers I'm teaching to drive. I have a regular cardiovascular experience every day. <laughs> and uh, they're great, Kate and Alex. Do you, I mean, what did they think about their mom running for office? Like, are they political? I mean, they've been raised oh, in the funny. Bay Area. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know. Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> I think my son could be a great political consultant because he would look at a piece of mail and he'd say, well, you should say this. Or okay. you should say that. But um, they also know what it's like to be dragged from meeting to meeting when your mom's very involved in your community, even before running for right. office. So I've probably ruined them on that. Uh, they are they're great. They they were originally why I ran for office. You know, I, I ran for assembly first. You know, some people kind of go up the ladder. I was concerned about what I saw happening in our schools. And I went to the principal and I said, all right, what committee have you not put me on? I've got all the cookie dough to show for being active. <laughs> I've done this event and that. And he, to fix what I'm seeing that's a problem, it's affecting my children and their, their classmates. And he said, I'll never forget it. There's nothing. He said, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no committee. What was the it? What was I mean, the it? Yeah. It was um, a couple things. There was funding. So this was a, after the Great Recession, right. but still we were just not seeing our schools in funding. I was on the school site council, and we knew that if we could fund one more day of a reading intervention, we could help third graders get more third graders on a wait list get to reading level. And and I'm like, why can't we figure this out? And there were others about, you know, the quality of the teaching experience, um, how the classrooms were working out, what supplies they had. And again, it was affecting my kids. And I'm, my mom was an award-winning teacher, as I mentioned, very protective of teachers, but I'm also protective of parents and our kids. Well, the tenure issue was something. Yeah, I mean, you one. ran in part, I mean, the BART strike and whether BART mm -hmm. should be able to strike was was an issue. But I'm, I'm curious, like, in that experience, yeah. did the tenure issue come it was, up? It was tenure. It was um, LIFO because teachers who were getting pink slips, uh, I'm sorry, last in, first out. <laughs> sorry, using the jargon. Um, the, the policy that is ingrained in our law that when schools are um, in a position where they have to lay people off. They don't get to say, okay, how many fourth grade teachers do we need for the incoming class? And how many kids for high school yeah. freshmen? They have to say, who's senior? Who's junior? And they let all the junior teachers go. It has definitely contributed to the teacher shortage we have. So when you got up to Sacramento, did you think, okay, I'm going to change that? I definitely did. And I was very proud to co-author the legislation with my colleagues in our caucus for reforming that policy, reforming teacher tenure, supporting Shirley Weber's um, bill on reforming teacher tenure. So I hope she brings her the tenacity she had um, <laughs> for use of force to that issue for sure, and reforming others. Some of them were implemented. Um, for example, the repeal on the cap on reserves, if you remember right. that, was a terrible policy undermining the financial stability of all of our schools. We were able to repeal that. Others, we just made some incremental change. And I, I learned pretty quickly in Sacramento this was going to be incremental change. Although that's been, become an issue now because now, you know, districts are looking at this issue and saying, well, we have all this money in reserves, but we still don't have enough money to pay the bills, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think what you're hearing from districts, I believe, is that we have funds and reserves and we need 
that. Um, we want to make sure they're not restricted, but we also have um, overhead costs that are very high yeah. and we need to be investing. So that goes to a lot more than just what you have in reserve. So you got elected in 2014, you got yes. reelected uh, in 2016, yep. and you struck up this relationship, we alluded to it earlier, with Steve Glazer, yeah. who was the state senator from that area. He was Jerry Brown's political consultant for yeah. many years. He's a political genius. Political yeah. genius. And you guys uh, started having town hall meetings mm-hmm. together in the yeah. district, and there were hundreds of people showed up. Oh, one the largest one we had was 800 people at the Lesher Center in Walnut Creek. I think the sh- smallest one we have is maybe 150 people. What was the appeal? How did you oh, get yeah. the idea? Who started it? Well, and what was the appeal, do you think? Even before Steve was elected, because he was elected in a special election, my very first town hall uh, about two months in was with Susan Bonilla mm-hmm. on education. And um, also Democrat. did, yeah, yeah. Democrat. Uh, also did town halls. I did three of them with uh, Eric Swalwell, uh, transportation, housing, and education. Mm-hmm. I was looking to get work done. And um, if I just wanted to work with Republicans, I was going to be standing alone in a room. So, you know, I just that was part of my desire. And then when uh, Steve was elected, we knew that we had a lot of areas in common and that we could work together. So let's try to do that. And to answer your question, what was it like? It was terrific because you had two people who work together but don't necessarily agree on every issue, answering unscripted questions, not filtered by staff and, and folks who are looking for a fight because that's all they see. And they would come away seeing you can have a conversation about issues, whether you agree or not. And I think it really instilled a lot of hope. And, I, you know, I mentioned you voted with Democrats on a number of issues, yeah. housing, climate change. Uh, you voted gun for control, the gun control, many things. And yet in 2018, they targeted you yeah. and uh, spent, uh, spent a lot of money. I mean, yeah. uh, organized labor and others. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Why is, that you... fair, is that fair game, do you think? Is that just politics? Uh, it is politics. Look, I signed up for a job, especially in what is a swing seat, as we all know, where you could lose that job every two years. And the speaker's job and the world that is Sacramento, when you make party identity, your identity, and your religion, their their power is determinant on how many seats they take out every chance they get. And Steve will tell you of a time when people used to make deals, like go to the speaker and say, hey, if I vote with you a lot, will you not put somebody up against me? I mean, I would never do that to begin with, but that's just not the culture that's up there. So Marisa's dying to ask me a question. Well, <laughs> I, I just wonder, because given all the policy issues we just outlined, given how moderate you are... Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you've said that you think the Republican brand is really toxic. Mm-hmm. Why stay in the party? Why yeah. maybe not join the Democrats like we saw um, Assemblyman Manshine do in San yeah. Diego. But at, at a certain point, like if you want to get stuff done, couldn't there be an argument for being no party preference? Well, yeah. There, and I will tell you that every and I'm a lifelong Republican when I first registered um, when I turned 18. And uh, every self-respecting Republican in the last two and a half, three years has ask themselves, do I want to stay Republican? Half of them we have on the show tell us they have re-registered. Yes, and and frankly, many in my area, council members and otherwise. Um, But I'll tell you a couple things. I'm I'm Republican for reasons of principle that I believe. I believe in embracing free markets. I believe in restrained, limited spending and taxation. I believe in personal responsibility and devolving decision-making to the most local level possible and viewing the individual. I'm going to not let you interrupt me. This is important. This is the Lincoln principle that's so important. Viewing the individual as individuals in their own autonomous rights instead of as members of a group. And I'm Republican for reasons of policy. Education policy housing policy and reform, how to spend our money, government accountability. Um, I definitely lean very much more Republican in that way. I have a lot of agreement with the Democratic Party. I'm pro-choice. 
pro marriage equality, definitely pro environment and pro gun control. And the reason why to get to Marissa's question on why I remained a Republican is I saw the influence I was having on fellow Republicans. I saw the influence I could have. If I'm outside of the party, it's a lot harder to, How, to you, move give, the needle. Give an example. Like, what do you mean you're having an influence on? Well, let's see. Uh, the climate change legislation is one example. Um, gun control. So I voted for quite a bit of gun control that I felt was respective of respectful of the Second Amendment, but much needed, including setting up the research center at UC Davis for gun violence when the Congress because, right. was unwilling to do it or when they finally set it up, they were unwilling to fund it. Um, actually, was proud to co-author that with Lois Wolk. And I believe that research that's peer reviewed, data based does not violate your Second Amendment. And I was able to bring some of my colleagues who otherwise would never vote for something the NRA didn't support. And again, on a legislation that I, I co-authored legislation that was sponsored by the Brady campaign. I don't know of another Republican in the state of California, maybe the country who's done that, yeah. passed by a Democratic legislature and saw how I was able to have Republicans start voting for gun control. That's the difference you begin to make. Yeah. So we are short on time, but I want to ask you, like, what's next for yeah. you? You've said that you're not done with public service. I'm not done. What are you, are you, run what again? are you thinking? <laughs> oh, well, you were going to ask that right question. <laughs> um, I don't have any big announcements for you today, but I'm not done. I absolutely love our community. I love being involved. I do have more races, I hope, and more elective service in me. And I, I know that the type of leadership I bring and the style that I have that's very collaborative is so much needed. Um, so I'm just going to look for the right place. I'm getting a lot of phone calls about different seats opening up out in my area, and I am listening. Um, you, I'm looking I think for you said right. you Would wouldn't you? run for Congress against oh, for the Swalwell no, no. seat. I, but... First of all, I think Eric is going to keep his House seat, or yeah. certainly he's going to run for yeah. it again. Yeah. He's not, he's yeah. not going to give that up. It's a plus 30 Democratic district. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think you could have more effect going to the local level, going back to the state level, or going to the federal level? I will look for where I can have effect on in the, the most effect. Certainly at the local level, like a supervisor area, you make a big difference on transportation, on housing, on uh, the cost of living in your community. Those are issues I care passionally about, so maybe. Meanwhile, archery is in your yes, near future? Yes, I need to get, I need to recertify my archery certification, because <laughs> I've got a bow sitting in my living room that's waiting for me to use it. <laughs> when right. she's not teaching driving. <laughs> that's right. Catherine Baker, thank you so much for thank coming you. in. Thank you. Great to visit with you. Service. And again, we think about the family in Sacramento. Exactly. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer today is Sonia Hudson, and our engineer is Jacob Winnick. KQED's leadership team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinny Tong. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at M. Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. That is a wrap for this week's Political Breakdown from KQED. We'll see you next time, everybody. It's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.